Hello and welcome to Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking. Thanks for joining us. I'm Malcolm Borthwick, Managing Editor at Bailey Gifford. Change is often uncomfortable. Cast your mind back to being told you couldn't see friends or family because of COVID, or a time your travel plans were disrupted because a plane was cancelled. For many of us, stock market volatility is the latest source of anxiety. And it's natural to feel concerned. Our brains are wired to prefer incremental change over sudden bursts of activity beyond our control. So, as investors, how are we thinking about recent market turbulence? To find out, I'm joined by Kirsty Gibson, Joint Manager of both the Bailey Gifford US Growth Trust and American Fund. But before we start the conversation, some important information. Please remember that, as with all investments, your capital is at risk and your income is not guaranteed. Kirsty, welcome to Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking. Thanks, Malcolm. Thanks for having me back. It's been a long time since I was here last time. There's lots of volatility on the stock market at the moment. Is this a good time or a bad time to be a growth investor? It's a very exciting time to be a growth investor, but I think it's a very uncomfortable time to be a growth investor. That's because, you know, we've had a lot of questions over the past sort of year probably about bubbles and overheating and growth versus value and what remains exciting. But those questions are by no means unfounded. But what makes the most interesting to me is that they're representative of this idea of the human condition, that the human brain is wired to handle incremental change. And we've experienced a lot of change over the past few years. We'd all like to believe we're heading towards a period of stasis where that kind of all of that change is bedded down and we can begin to relax into a sort of new normality. But what's really interesting to me and what makes being a growth investor really exciting right now is what if we are just at the tip of the iceberg of what change is yet to come? So how do you stay focused on the long term at times like this? What we're trying to do is is to find really great businesses. And in order to do that, we have to accept the uncertainty that comes with that. It's about recognising asymmetry. It's understanding that plans are not full of straight lines, that they tend to zig and zag. And it's recognising that straight away. And it's therefore opening your mind to the possibility of what a company can become, what a business could achieve in future, rather than looking at what it is today and sort of extrapolating from there. Because I think that is how we as humans feel most comfortable, is that we reason by analogy. We we like to say, well, this becomes the this of this. You know, Uber was the this of taxis, etc. I think we like to reason by analogy. And actually, we need to sort of break out of that habit in order to imagine if you're going to invest on a five to 10 year view, what a company could be. And imagination is all about thinking differently. Let's have a listen to this. We have all individually developed an internal model of reality which is based on the machine and on mathematics, and it's simply antithetical to human life and destructive of the biosphere. And we have heard this person on the podcast before, because your your colleague Gary talked about him in episode 21 when we talked about chaotic organisations, the balance between chaos and order. Tell me a little bit more about who this is and why what he says is significant. So this is D. Hawk. And D. Hawk was actually the founder of Visa. 
Now, Visa came out of um, a necessity, I guess, with a group of banks in the US, um, and they decided that they needed um, a new way for people to be able to pay on credit. And they sort of all clubbed together. And I guess you could say Hawk was the leader of that. He wouldn't probably class himself as a founder. Um, because of this idea of chaotic organisations, this blending of chaos and order, he provided the guide rails. He helped them to lay down the guide rails and he led that business. And interestingly, when that was over, um, when he decided to take a step back from leading Visa, he actually returned to farming. He decided, well, my, my, my job is done. And that's where he spent the sort of the rest of his days was doing that. And I think this plays into this idea that humans have a preference for structure and ultimately for control. Um, and this runs counter to the creativity of human beings as a species. And you have to think outside of the box in order to invest on a long term basis. And I think that's why this quote, like, sort of, you know, it sort of rings a bell with me is because we we really want this kind of control. And the more we go through life, I guess, the more we try to put controls on top of things. And actually, we need to break out of that and to think about things in a completely different way. But thinking in a completely different way and imagining isn't easy, is it? No, I mean, I think if we if we just look in front of you, look at your your iPhone in front of you. You know, when when Bardeen invented the transistor, no one predicted the iPhone. That was 1948. Of course, no one was going to predict the iPhone, and that's not unexpected. But we have to accept that we cannot predict the future. But that doesn't mean that we can't hypothesize about the future. And I think there's a couple of characteristics that we can place emphasis on to understand if we think businesses can achieve different things and solve new problems that may or may not emerge in future. And one of those is to do with adaptability, is the ability of a management team to be able to alter the path that they're on, to navigate different situations whether they be internally internal challenges or whether those be external forces like the macro environment, for example. And give an example of a company that you can think of that fits into that. I think most companies that you have where you have a sort of real strong founder leading that business are very much adapting. So a great example would be actually the previous time I was on the podcast, we spoke about synthetic biology. So a company would be like, for example, Ginkgo Bioworks. So we first invested in Ginkgo when it was a private company. And at the time, Ginkgo was um, was looking to, it's ultimately this business is looking to make biology programmable. So you put the tools of biology into human hands. And it was very much focused on the flavor and fragrance industry. That's That was sort of, that was the opportunity that they had in front of it. You fast forward, you know, six, seven years now, and they, they're in agriculture and pharmaceuticals. They're doing some work with regard to monitoring, you know, biosecurity, monitoring for pathogens, for things like COVID. So, and that's because that's a management team that's adapted with the fact that that business has evolved and the opportunity set has grown over time. So it's probably impossible to envisage what these conceptual breakthroughs are. I mean, maybe also in the early days of Amazon, who was to know that it would be the cloud that would make so much revenue for the company in the, in the future? So is it more really about sticking with what you're saying about the uh, culture of the organisation and the founders of those companies? Yeah, I think I think it's about for me anyway. It's the starting point is to try and understand what motivates those individuals. It's about looking back at their childhood, their upbringing, about how and why they make the decisions that they do, and then being able to think about in future 
at different junctures, because we're all going to hit those different, you know, those different forks in the road. At those forks in the road, how do you think they are going to react based on the kind of foundational beliefs that they have from life experiences that they have gone through? And that helps you to build conviction. And ultimately, what we're talking about as a long-term investor is building hypotheses. And those hypotheses are about saying, what do I think could happen? But hypothesis is great. But if you don't have any conviction in that hypothesis, it's just an idea. And the only reason that you can make those ideas actionable is by starting to build your conviction in that idea. And some of that conviction comes from the fact that you learn and understand what motivates a management team. So another example of a sector that's going through transformational change in terms of imagining the future is the metaverse. And in many cases, I mean, chatting to some investors within Bailey Gifford, they question whether or not the metaverse exists at all. Yeah, I think I think it's quite a difficult one. And I think there's a difference because there's like lots of different companies now talking about it in different ways. So I think you have on the one end of the scale, you have kind of this idea of like the full scale, we're going to live in a you know completely different world. Um, and then at the other end, you have a company like Snap, for example, that's more talking about this idea of a mirror world. So it's about augmented reality. It's about accentuating our world and adding a layer on top rather than us living in a completely different world. And actually, um, a private gaming company that we have in the portfolio as well called Niantic, which is behind Pokemon Go. They're the CEO of that business, John Hankey, he has quite strong views on this as well, this idea that actually what you want is you want people to go outside. Like we don't want people more in their heads. That would be his argument. We want people ooh, we want people to go outside um more. So I think I think the sort of jury's out. It doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily clear that it's going to play in one way or another. Um I like the idea of this kind of mirror world that you can that you would get to this to a point where you know I could approach a statue for example and yeah. I could learn about the history of that statue or I could um I could perhaps play a game with my friends or you know I can have a photo etc but but it kind of it augments the world around us it doesn't it doesn't mean that we want to block the current world and create a new one it's more about taking what we have around us and saying well how do we make this better so was that his idea behind Pokemon in the sense you go around collecting figures that he wanted to get people outside in it for it to be yeah, more it's one of his, yeah it's one of wow. his big things um is one of his big things has been he's he's written actually he's there's a letter on the um on the Niantic website where he's made a sort of declaration of of what he believes and why um, and I think so I think that Niantic and Snap are more closely aligned in that respect mm. a lot of what Snap is trying to do is to say we can make the Snap sort of camera and the lenses that Snap have available to everyone mm. we can we can power your mobile app so Disney's Disney's mobile app when you go into their parks all that augmented reality is powered by Snap Mm. snaps sort of cameras another company that i'm really interested in that you invest in Kirsty, is zipline and how that's transforming the logistics industry yeah so zipline is an autonomous drone delivery company and it's based in san francisco and i think when you say drones everybody thinks of the military um and that's not what Zipline is looking to do. It's looking to transform what is possible in logistics. And it was founded with the mission of creating the first logistics system that serves all humans equally. Um, and it's making really great progress against this goal. 
while disrupting existing last mile logistics solutions. So we first invested in the business in 2018 and um, the companies had a sort of really direct impact in helping many nations in Africa with the delivery of, well, actually blood products, but since then COVID vaccines as well. So they started out in Rwanda where the government actually hired Zipline to deliver blood and medical supplies to hard-to-reach rural locations. So what they basically have is they set up what they call nests, um, which are like little little launch sites where they launch these drones. And these drones will fly to more rural hospitals or health centres, and they can deliver things like blood and medical supplies. Now, what's really interesting is this allows um, governments to better manage their planning because you can actually therefore send things that are closer to expiry date. You can actually send them at at that point because you know they're going to arrive in time. You know that they're on a flight that's going to take, you know, less than 24 hours, etc. Um and actually Zipline's automated delivery system is now the largest in the world and it's flown significantly more miles and made more commercial deliveries than its um than its closest competitors. So it's at, at the time of um, their last sort of public disclosure, they'd had over 300,000 commercial flights covering more than 20 million miles and all are done autonomously and all done with zero instances of injury to anybody because I think what people's fears is a sort of drone falling out of the sky and dropping on their head. Um, So they now actually operate on three continents and they're currently running a commercial trial in the US for uh, Walmart. Um, delivering um, people with their groceries delivered to their garden. And actually, when we when I was last in the US earlier this year, the CEO showed me a video. He went on a on a sort of walkabout, I guess, with the CEO of Walmart and him to this place called Pea Ridge in Arkansas, which is where they've been um, doing this experiment. And he's basically standing in people's back gardens and watching fully grown adults sort of almost jumping up and down when a drone came in and dropped a bag of Walmart shopping uh, on their on their front lawn. So there's an opportunity there for them to expand into the grocery delivery in the US and also potentially delivering sort of pharmaceutical products as well in the US. They've got a few relationships there. But it's just really interesting that this has been a business that's been highly, highly successful in in um, really solving a logistics problem in emerging markets. And they're taking that learning and bringing it back into the US. Yeah, I mean, visually, it's extraordinary looking at their website in terms of how they um, have launch pads just to fire off the drones isn't it it's yeah. extraordinary yeah and i mean they've delivered over a million covid vaccines in rwanda and, and ghana and i think there was a there was a piece of work done by the bill and melinda gates foundation that showed you know zipline's direct ability to in ha, has had a direct um influence on the ability of the in, individuals in rural parts of africa to access vaccinations Um, And that's a great positive note to end the podcast. Kirsty, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much. And thanks to you, the listeners, for investing your time in short briefings on long-term thinking. You can find our podcast at bailigifford.com forward slash podcasts or subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify or on TuneIn. And if you enjoyed the conversation, you can check out previous discussions we've had on the podcast, such as why private companies matter more, to exploring the innovative Scandinavian country that has unearthed global giants such as Ericsson, Spotify and Ikea. What's its secret? Find out by listening to the podcast and there are 26 other episodes, so plenty to choose from. And if you're listening at home, you're listening in the car, wherever you're listening, stay well. 
and we look forward to bringing you more insights in our next podcast. Music.